1: Well, these shows get a little tougher every week after a loss, and this week is no exception. The Cincinnati Bengals lose to the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night football yet again. Last play of the game, last second field goal, and they fall to 2-3. and That's not the way I wish to have started off the show, but that's the reality of things. I'm Anthony Kozenzi. He's John Sharon. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincinnati Jungle Podcast Network. John, you've been burning the candle at both ends, as they say, but uh, you, you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and been killing it on the, the website and on podcasts, including this one. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing good. I don't know if it's like an ominous sign, but like as soon as the show started, like, I hear like, a really loud cold wind outside of my apartment. I don't know if it's because we're about to talk about another loss, but <laughs> I'll keep an eye on that.
1: I, I was wondering what was happening, because as the intro was going, I could see you backstage there, and you kind of had this...
2: Peripheral. It's season though.
1: Yeah, 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 there you go. Very festive, very festive over there. Well, we're going to talk about all the things with the Bengals losing to the Ravens there, an ugly 19 to 17 loss by the team and their second divisional loss in five games. Not good. There were some alterations to the offensive I guess play calling and or uh, repertoire of play, so we'll we'll, we'll get into that. We've got some questions to ask. We've got a lot of different things. We've got some fun Bengals trivia. We'll get to that in a little bit as well. But again, you can get the show in a variety of ways. On our YouTube channel, there is a, an icon below, John, there for those watching the video, whether it's live or after the fact. There's an icon by the SB Nation, since jungle icon, down in the bottom right corner. You can click that to subscribe. Click the bell to notif- be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And of course, if you are an audiophile, and you like to listen to us jammer on on your car stereo or at home, whatever, you can subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Bengal Jim and friends had a great show last night. They had TJ Hushman Zada on the show. So you want to check out that one. We're doing our thing here, multiple shows a week. And, of course, Matt Minnick breaking down things for you on Coach Speak and Chalk Talk, all part of the podcast network. Get it where you can. Well, John, I mean, as as we kind of tease, let's kind of start talking about this thing. I guess let's start with the bad first and also the inexplicable. The Bengals lose to the Baltimore Ravens, their second in-division loss in five games so far this year. Not good. Two two games that they really should have had when you look at everything. Bengals are the first team in NFL history, and this is thanks to Ben Baby and ESPN stats there. Bengals are the first team in history to lose three games on the final play within their first five games.
2: Yeah. Thanks. For and those.
1: yeah. And then there was another one. I think uh, I, I got to go look back at this one here, but it has something to do with the defense, not giving up a touchdown here. Let's see. Defense is not allowed a second half touchdown all season long, but have given up somehow three game winning drives The Bengals could not pass the football against the team. The Ravens defense that has allowed the most passing yards up to that point. Make it make sense to me, John. I can't. I mean, what?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, going into this game, man, like my main concern for them, this is a rivalry, and the Bengals defense has disciplined a a mastery of how to limit Lamar Jackson from doing Lamar Jackson things on a regular basis. Now Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson and he's going to do Lamar Jackson things. I've said Lamar Jackson five times in 10 seconds, but (laughs) that's how they won the game. You didn't stumble
1: over it. So good for you, man. (laughs) I mean, neither
2: did he on the final drive when they got him into field or into system kicker, Justin Tucker field goal range. So the Bengals defense is at a point where they're familiar with the Ravens. and they've developed a scheme, they've accumulated personnel to limit them as much as humanly possible. With the Bengals' offense, they've had years now going up against Wink Martindale. They're aggressive, man-heavy, blitz-heavy defense, and that's part of the reason why the Bengals were able to eviscerate them last year. They took advantage of a ton of one-on-one opportunities, a lot of cover one, cover zero, cover three, you know what the Ravens typically normally played in, in that man-heavy scheme. And then the Ravens have shifted to a different style of defense on their new defensive coordinator and that was my concern what are they going to do against the Ravens defense that they have no experience going up against the personnel hasn't really changed like Marlon Humphrey Marcus Peters as badly as Marlon Humphrey got beat last year like he's still a good quarterback and he showed why he's still a good quarterback in this game Marcus Peters still has ball hockey mentality the loss of I think Marcus Williams during the game is, it may have impacted some things but at the end of the day like we talked about that defense still being talented from a personnel standpoint and in this game, I said it, man, like I would have thought that it, would, it could have been a get right game for that defense to institute more too high looks. I think 70% of their defense was in, in too high, other quarters, quarter, quarter, half, or just simple cover two. And it worked. And mm-hmm. it, it continued to work because the Bengals continued to not show competency in attacking those coverages. A lot of times you saw route concepts that didn't offer spacing. And even when you had a numbers advantage on, on a certain side of the field... It allowed the Ravens to sit back in their zones and to basically cover multiple routes at once, and that's why I think you had for the most part, Joe Burrow continuing to look down to his checkdowns on a frequent basis. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It kept drives sustained. It kept the chains moving at, at certain times, but it basically limited any possibility for explosive plays. The only potential explosive play that they had, aside from a deep Mike Thomas comeback, was a deep <laughs> route to Mike Thomas in the end zone, where unfortunately Burrow didn't put enough mustard on the ball, and it ended up going out of bounds too much, and Thomas couldn't get his feet in bounds. So the Ravens did exactly what we expected them to do, and the Bengals didn't have any previous tape on this defense doing those types of things and coverages, and unfortunately they didn't look particularly prepared.
1: Well, first of all, it wouldn't be a live show without our boy Andrew Siler saying, oh, yes, we." I, I always love when Andrew comes in here and, and gives us one of those. Good to see you. You, Andrew, and all of you saying who day" and hello on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, on our live YouTube chats, and of course, if you're joining us on Twitter as well, um, John, you. So there's there's a lot of talking points this week, and the favorite ones are Zach Taylor, the play caller, and you know what are the Bengals doing for scheme and all kinds of things. We're going to talk about a lot of that. Don't don't fret, ladies and gentlemen. But there are a couple of things, items that a lot of people don't seem to be talking about, and maybe it's because they're not as smart as I think (laughs) they're not as, as interesting of a topic as I think they are. But one of the elements you mentioned was the familiarity aspect. And you said the Bengals defense is familiar with the Ravens offense and Lamar Jackson playing contained, doing all those kinds of things now that um, have kind of limited the damage and points here. And Oh, by the way, to go with that, Myriad of stats. I started this segment off with. Bengals defense is letting up 16.4 points a game right now. I mean that is incredibly manageable when you have this type, these type of players on offense. But John, familiarity—the one thing that you brought that up. Not many people are talking about the fact that the Ravens and the Steelers had made some specific off-season moves to bolster their pass defense. They had some extra chips on their shoulders based on what the Bengals did to them twice each last year. And those teams are a bit more familiar with the Bengals schemes, the Bengals players, the Bengals concepts, than, say, a Jets. Yeah, I know the Jets played them last year, but they didn't play them twice. Or a team like the Dolphins, that sort of thing. I'm I'm beginning to wonder now, if this off-season narrative of, hey, the the rest of the NFL may be catching up a little bit to what the Bengals are trying to do, I'm wondering if this is particularly the case within the division, given what the Ravens and Steelers did to the Bengals this year so far.
2: Well, I mean, they've definitely caught up at this point. Like That's that's indisputable. Until the Bengals find counters to the counters that their rivals have made because of what they did to them last year, like that the, the narrative isn't going to really change. Like the Bangle, the Steelers and Ravens were able to do whatever they want against the old Bengals offense because they couldn't protect. They had a quarterback who was skittish in the pocket. There was It was just hopeless towards the end of the Marvin Lewis, Lewis days. Then you institute a new offense with a quarterback who isn't afraid to push the ball down the field. You have weapons that can stretch the field. The Ravens and Steelers don't adapt in time, and that gave the Bengals the jump on those specific teams – the Browns, I guess, are another story, but we'll talk about that when they actually play the Browns in a couple of weeks. And now you have, like you said, the Ravens and Steelers making specific adjustments, not just for their overall defenses, but their, for these matchups. right? And it wasn't just the the personnel additions. It was schematic evolutions to their overall defense. Like, the, you're talking about teams that typically don't play too high coverages, that typically like to stay in man, and that wasn't the case this year. Because why would it be? Like, why would any other defense deviate from this extremely known winning strategy in facing the Bengals offense and I think it definitely helped that you know the Ravens didn't have to face T. Higgins for the majority of this game it came down to you know we've had this conversation a myriad of times in the past several years now and this one of the main talking points as to why you know Jamar Chase was so valuable in, in adding to this offense is that When you only have one guy that's capable of stretching the field, it allows defenses to really park the bus back there, and they're not really afraid of anyone taking taking the top off of them. And they could just cloud coverage. Their only vertical threat out there, like no one's really afraid of Mike Thomas taking the top off your defense. Tyler Boyd stays in the slot because he doesn't have that burst. He doesn't have that second gear in him. So you know the 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 T Higgins injury, I think, definitely had an impact. But Anthony, it also comes to the point where if you have a quarterback that you believe to be amongst the elite, and you have a head coach is entering his fourth year as a play caller. It's like the injury to one receiver, albeit a really good one, it shouldn't
1: really hinder this offense as much as it is. It should not, um, but, I mean, it it really <laughs> it really is, and I think you are seeing the value in which T. Higgins is bringing to this team. I mean, I know we all know Jamar Chase is a superstar, and what he did last year was fantastic, but, I mean, it can't be overstated what this offense is when all hands are on deck and t higgins specifically is on deck i want to share this i thought this was an interesting tidbit and you can go find the uh the entire article on the cincinnati Inquirer. this is from charlie goldsmith here and you can see a little bit tyler boyd's targets are down because when jamar chase lines up in the slot boyd hasn't had a featured role the quote from brian callahan was when you're moving Jamar into the slot, those are generally Boyd's targets. That's the trade-off. So a lot of people are saying, where's Where's Tyler Boyd? Why is he not getting the ball? And rightfully so, even Boyd himself, I think, was maybe a little bit frustrated. That's, that's coming off of that. But like you kind of intimated there, I mean, even if there is this trade-off, you got to find some designs to get these players on the field and get if the if the one read isn't there, you got to find a way to get another guy the ball because these guys are too talented to not make plays, and they're too talented to only put up 17 points, a little over 200 yards passing by Joe Burrow against a, a Ravens defense that let up the most passing yards up to that point last week. You, you just you need to find you need to be better, and the play calling is is suspect in a lot of different ways. I mean, I know that's kind of by committee, as Zach Taylor told us this week, but. I mean, there are major concerns and questions in that regard.
2: I had an interesting discussion with Bengals Sands um, before the show via Twitter, and he was talking about, you know, like general thoughts on what the offense can do better. And beyond just the play calling issue, it's – I mean, I think everyone is in agreement that that the play calling committee of Taylor, Callahan, Pitcher, Walters, everyone in charge – in, in distributing the play calls, like they should do things that, you know, keep Burrow in mind, like play to his strengths. And I, I think that kind of leads into some of the issues that we're seeing because I, I think, I think Sands brought up a good point, And this was with the discussion that he had with Jake Lisko. And it's that when Burrow is reading downfield, like route concepts that kind of work off each other, that kind of stress zone coverages on, on one side of the field, and creates openings, it's almost like on some of those route consoles, we don't see them enough to create spacing down the field, which is how you kind of spread out the coverages that have seven, eight guys back there. And when you have a lot of targets going to, to Jamar Chase, who's isolated on one side of the field and he's not getting over the top because you have safeties who are just bracketing over the top of him, or you have cloud coverage over top of him. It's almost like Burrow is more comfortable just trusting Chase to get open on those one-on-ones compared to reading off other concepts where you have, you know, multiple routes on one side of the field that are designed to either make make a cornerback in the in the fl- in the flat kind of drop back towards deep and create vacancies up front, or vice versa. Right? You have a, you have like a smash concept where you have a little hitch route and you're trying to, you know, bait the safety down mm-hmm. towards you know the front of the line of scrimmage so you could open up the back of the field. It's almost like those are the routes that I think. Would unlock more of what the offense wants to do and we're not really seeing them and i don't know if it's because burrow is more comfortable with the other more isolated routes but i think there needs to be some type of a of a healthy marriage between the two to get burrow more comfortable in stressing those parts of the field because until they do we're, we're not going to see much change right it's either going to be miscommunication areas from the secondary where those explosive plays then get opened up and then you can target jamar chase down the field or you're just going to have check down after check down after check down because the concepts that they're working with right now like they're not creating enough space down the field and that's the most important part.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the frustration was at the at least at the beginning of the game. It was I mean, it was kind of Joe Flacco ball for a little bit. It was Captain Checkdown for for quite a while um at the beginning of the game and that it, it's just we're not really accustomed to that. Uh, with with this group and what we saw last year one thing that was working and one thing that they were trying to do they were mixing in some RPO stuff and and they were finally getting some things going on the ground particularly with Joe Mixon John going into this game Joe Mixon had 2.7 yards per carry on the season based on his performance and I think he had about five and a half yards per carry as did P Ryan if I if memory serves in this game uh, he boosted his overall – I mean, it's still not good, but he boosted his overall yards per carry average to 3.1. But the Bengals were able – while they were not able to do some things in the passing game and, and make the explosive plays or the big plays in the passing game, they were able to finally generate some chunk yardage off RPOs and different different plays there. What's your take on the run game? And, and you know, is this something that can be sustained? Or, you know, maybe that was just – Something the Ravens were willing to concede this week to not let the others beat them.
2: So this was a topic of uh, my article that I wrote today on Cincy Jungle. Um, there, in this game, it, it was astonishing to see the, the splits between how many how many gap scheme run plays the Bengals ran compared to zone. It was fifteen to three in favor of gap scheme, which I don't think has been done under Frank Pollock in the four or five years no. that he's been here. No, yeah. because Frank Pollock majored. <laughs> And zone blocking, like the Callahan coaching tree, Brian Callahan, that, that's that's zone, right? But this is why what I think a lot of us is, have been wondering, like, when is this transition going to come? Because it seems like the composition of this offensive line is more well-suited for gap man-style run running concepts. And that's what we saw against the Baltimore Ravens. And for weeks now, they've been preaching, if you can run the ball against light boxes, you will force a safety to come up into the box. And that creates spacing down the field. And I think and I'm not I'm not harping on Burrow here. I'm I'm saying that he doesn't have that Josh Allen arm where he can just launch it over both safeties, right? Like, and you you just can't have that with with the the arm that he has, right? So you need to create spacing down the field with your running game and with your short passing attack. And this game, I think, was what they envisioned at the beginning of the season to eventually get to that point because the Ravens consistently had six man boxes, and the the Bengals didn't always have an extra blocker in with Hayden Hurst or an extra added blocker, like, like with, like, with Hakeem. Yeah. 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 But against six man boxes, they were just pounding the ball and just against space that the Ravens were creating for them. Right. Like to me, that's, that's taking what the defense gives you. Don't make it harder than what it has to be like with zone. Like I think it's better to run those zone wide zone concepts against stack boxes because you know, when you, you're stretching out the defense laterally, you're you're trying to create space with zone blocking. But when you have the space, that the defense gives you with light boxes you can just pound the ball right ahead and just take mm-hmm. the open gaps that the defense gives you and that's exactly what the Bengals did and that's why the run game was a lot more efficient and i think mixon looked at least healthier and more confident in attacking downhill and even on those cutback even on those cutbacks that he had like there was no force player for the ravens to you know force him back inside like he was cutting back to open space and he was getting a lot of extra yards so this was the the running game that the Bengals envisioned against light boxes. And for whatever reason, took them five weeks to actually get to this point. But this is why I think you can have some myriad of of faith in progress going forward, because if they continue to do this, the defenses will eventually have to respect it.
1: They will move up. Yeah, they will move up. They will add more to the box. And that's where there's going to be potentially the opportunity for bigger plays down the field that they have been completely lacking this year. It's, it's been, I mean, there's been some some nice plays on this offense, but it really, John, it really has been, I don't know if vanilla is the right word, I don't know if pedestrians are the right word, but it has not been anywhere near as exciting as it was last year. And I think, like you said, the correlation of, of some of the route concepts, but also this, this finally figuring out a, a semblance of a run game this week. And hopefully that's a key that they may be, Utilize going forward to unlock some things. That John, you know, before we get to our our, our next segment here, just quickly, Bengals. I've met, I've said it now. This would be the third time drop two division games within their first five weeks. Now they've got basically the, most of the NFC South right in a row here, sandwiched in with a road game to Cleveland um, before in their next four games before the bye. I would assume. You would agree with me in that the Bengals need to go at least three and one in that in that stretch with one of those three wins being against Cleveland at this point based on how these first five weeks have gone.
2: Yeah, it's it's it's, it has to happen at this point. And you can even look beyond that. I think they have like the they have the Steelers pretty soon after that and like the Titans like they're going to be games when the Bengals are either favored or they're barely underdogs because of like a road advantage. Like none of those teams are particularly impressive, and I think for the most part, none of them pose, you know, imposing defenses. I, I would say definitely not Cleveland. Like Saints are pretty middle of the road defensively. Same thing with the Panthers, who now have a new coaching staff, and, and who knows what's going on with all that. The Falcons' defense is nothing to really, you know, pound their chest about. So, statistically on paper, like there are opportunities for this offense to get right, but. Like we talked about last week, like the Ravens weren't exactly having a lot of success in stopping the pass, but they instituted a scheme that you know, the Bengals have yet to show progress against, and that, that will be the blueprint. But at, at the very least, like these are teams that, for the most part, don't have really imposing pass rushes, and you know, hopefully the Teagans can get healthy and, and that, can, that can put those defenses in a bind. But this is undoubtedly
1: a stretch where the Bengals have to get right on offense here's mr whisper mr generosity mr whisper thank you and that will continue to help out the pollock family foundation there thank you for your super chat your youtube chat and of course those take precedence in terms of getting on the air and or being answered when we do the listener questions live episodes and whatnot but uh he writes john hey guys have your season predictions changed after the first five weeks obviously at this point i think i mean i i I think I, so it's really funny because be, before the season I said, you know, I think maybe the Bengals sweep the Steelers. I think they split with the Ravens. I think they uh, potentially split with the, you know, the Browns again. And I think I was labeled a hater for having them going four and two in the division and that I didn't respect them. And, uh, you know, I'm a joke, all kinds of different comments that were left <laughs> in in various spots, but you know, I mean, right now I don't. I think I had them at either four and one or three and two at this point. I, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, so I don't think it's drastically changed. And the good news too is that the two wins they do have are conference wins. So when it comes to potential tiebreakers, obviously division and all that stuff takes precedence. But conference record does matter up there as well. So you like that? I, I wouldn't say it has altered too much, but I keep saying it's—it's it's like every week. Hey, you got to show me more. Hey, you know this week means a lot and all of that. And as you know, we're still kind of in this early-ish part of the season, but it's now getting to the point where it's like, hey, like you said, it's starting to be like we—we we can't wait around for things to start developing and progressing. Like it needs to start happening pretty immediately.
2: I don't remember ever putting this on record. I don't know if we—if I did this on the show or not, but I think. When looking at the first five weeks, I had them at three and two with losses at Dallas, which I presume was going to be Dak at quarterback, and I had them losing this game, or at least that, that was my thought coming into this. I did too. Yeah. I, I didn't think they were going to beat all three FC North teams on the road on Sunday Night Football, and I thought the Ravens are going to be good, and it turns out they're pretty good. So I had them at three and two. They're two and three. They could easily be three and two. Obviously, their issues on offense are concerning. I think in general, the, their struggles. Like It's not about if they're surprising, it's about how different they are compared to last year. Because last year, they were dealing with offensive line issues. And the main thing wasn't just about just general play calling. It's how do you call plays aggressively throughout a game when you don't trust your offensive line. It doesn't seem like there's that lack of trust with the offensive line now. It's progressed to a point where they're a functioning, competent unit. Now it's just about how are you going to beat this these types of coverages that teams are just going to roll out every single week. And that's concerning because you don't know how they're going to progress off of that. You would hope to think that they would find answers and that they would become more balanced with their running game being a little better. But as far as like their overall season outlook, no, I don't think it's changed that much. Like I think I had them around 10 wins, maybe nine or 10 at at that point. And they're only one off of where I would have had him had had all things, been equal before the season. So no, I, I think they're about staying the course and it's just about just, getting things right and that remains to be seen
1: i think i had him at 11 wins but you know uh, again one or two the other way also wouldn't have surprised me either but uh again it's just a frustrating frustrating start to the season because you have your your three losses by a combined eight points you're losing games you know (laughs) by 2.7 points it's it's unbelievable on average so uh, frustrating start to be sure, but thank you, Mr. Whisper for your generous YouTube chat there. Super chat. This is kind of a blend of a couple of different segments, a State Your Case or a Believe It or Not, because there's multiple questions and multiple takes to be had here. I guess we'll go with the State Your Case, uh, I don't know, the State Your Case graphic here. Let's do it because we've got some questions to ask about one area that isn't being talked about as much again this week. So we've heard about play calling. We've heard about Zach Taylor and people calling for him. I mean, I, I guess there's people out there calling for him to be fired. I don't, I don't think that's very rational. I think maybe. Six it's years more, left on his deal. Yeah. I think it's the play calling duties. I think it's, you know, Zach Taylor, the play caller, Zach Taylor, the ad hoc offensive coordinator, so to speak, that's what's coming under fire. But you know, it's, it's the plays, it's the design, it's the run, run scheme. It's a lot of different things, a lot of different, Uh, villains or you know indictments being thrown out there one thing that's not being talked about though is a little bit of personnel and personnel decisions and where certain players are in the mix with some of these things and you brought up a really good point about T Higgins missing from the lineup and we briefly kind of talked about what he means to the Bengals offense and obviously based on when he leaves there are some massive dry spells and there is a A far less amount of comfort for Joe Burrow, particularly when it comes to throwing balls in the middle of the field, the intermediate routes, that sort of thing, um, because T. Higgins is so good at contested catches and he's got that big body, you know, big wingspan, the whole deal. But when he's out of the game, I mean, Mike Thomas had a nice play last week and he... A couple of weeks earlier, I think he had a drop in the end zone as well um, at some point. But, I mean, there's, there's hit and miss there. Like you said, he's not the dominant threat or as threatening of a receiver as T. Higgins. But not only when T. Higgins is out, but when your offense is losing a spark or losing, you know, they're not getting these big plays. They're not creating these big plays. There seems to be a specific member of the offensive personnel that you could potentially utilize in some fashion. And the Bengals just are not doing that. And that again is Chris Evans. And I asked the question, where is he? Why is he not on the field? Why is he not getting offensive snaps? It's not like he's getting a lot of opportunities in the kick return game, kickoff return game. So, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about maybe saving his health in that regard. He's not getting those touches. This is a guy that you could use as a wide receiver four, or step in as wide receiver three. Sometimes if T Higgins has that ankle injury lingering out there, not the same player, but a guy that could provide a nice safety net for burrow, short intermediate routes, that sort of thing. And now with the aforementioned altered run scheme, that's starting to maybe gain a little more ground than it did the previous month. Maybe he's a fit there for some more explosive plays too. John, I don't have an answer for it, but I'm just asking the question. Why haven't we seen more Chris Evans, especially with the offensive struggles, lack of big plays and lack of points?
2: Closest thing I can think is that he's just not practicing well. And if he's not practicing well, he's not getting those plays called in his name. He's not getting opportunities in practice to be a part of the playbook. I think in general, like when people and fans ask for like wholesale changes with personnel and and scheme and, and play calling, it's really just throwing out the book in the middle of the season and starting anew, and then you're removing a lot of the work that you did in the off season now granted if it's just not producing results and maybe there's no point in keeping it in general, or there's the idea of kind of sticking to what the process is and hoping that more work and more continuity makes it work with Evan specifically. I mean, he's been on the field for what, like five snaps, and I can I actually remember what, like one or two targets that, that he had, one being deep against the Miami Dolphins. I think Burrow kind of overthrew him a little bit. So mm-hmm. in terms of you know percentage of deep targets compared to snaps, I guess he's <laughs> leading the team. But yeah, man, if he's not involved in the offense in any way, shape, or form on game days, like it's hard to imagine he's involved at all in practice, and that could be for reasons that are beyond our our knowledge like we don't know what goes on in practice we don't know how he does in practice this has gone back to the days of Marvin Lewis when you have talented guys who aren't getting snaps and the whole narrative around it is that they're just not showing up from Monday through Saturday and that might just be the case here
1: well it is it is the case and like i mean you talk about wholesale changes or play throwing out the playbook that's not even really what i'm saying it's more just integrate him here and there, especially when your offense is missing a spark of some kind. And if there is, you know, maybe his route tree is far more limited than I'm giving him credit for. You know, I kind of, not only because of his number, but I kind of see some elements of Gio Bernard. We've seen it in the recent, and that's what he was touted for. And he's flashed it, in, you know, in the Lions game last year and whatnot. But it just baffled me when, you know, there's, they're just not that the offense is not clicking. They're not making plays in the run game. They're not doing, and and they just are not going to that well to at least see. And like you said, it could be something that we don't see on a daily basis. Whether it's practice attitude, I don't know. Um, I know that they value P Ryan in the pass pass blocking department, and that's why he's in there on on you know some of the concepts as well as spelling mixing. Mixing had some nice runs last week, so they wanted to definitely kind of keep keep that momentum going there but I just it just baffles me how this guy is not and maybe I overvalue him maybe maybe we have overvalued him the collective we have overvalued what he can do on offense but this was the guy I know the coaching staff was excited about when they drafted him we he flashed last year and we he's just been an absolute ghost for whatever reason this year and I feel like he's not going to be a cure-all for the Bengals offense, but if he can provide the occasional spark or if you think he can provide the occasional spark, why are why is he not getting the snaps?
2: It's not a very good place to be at when um, you're resorting to like your third string back as like an answer. For the spark, you know, it's what I mean? not. It's no. not.
1: But, but, but the versatility. I'm talking. I'm speaking more to the versatility and the fact that this staff has talked about him as a guy that they would, they would, they can use as a weapon. And obviously, he is now with Brandon Wilson out of the lineup. He's been the kickoff return guy, so they value his athleticism and potential for big plays, at least on a on a special teams basis. So you would think that there's maybe the occasional yeah. opportunity there for him to do that. We saw it against the Lions last year.
2: Yeah, and I think. In games like this past Sunday, Mike Thomas got I think at least ninety percent of the snaps in T. Higgins' place. Like maybe Stanley mm-hmm. Morgan got a handful. Like they, they don't have great depth of receiver, and this is this was an issue going into the season. This is why a lot of people bang the table for them to keep Kendrick Pryor, who knows what role he would have had had he'd stayed around and T. Higgins suffered this ankle injury. I, I think there is, there is a point to be made when you do have an injury like that. It eliminates the question, oh, if you're putting Chris Evans on the field, who are you taking off the field? Well, you don't have one of your best players on the field in the first place, so it doesn't hurt right. to rotate that guy in. On an on an occasional basis to provide a potential spark. Now, are you featuring him on on most of those plays when he's on the field? Maybe, maybe not. Like again, like I, I look back to that that slot fade route that Burrow tried to get him when they were an empty on like a third down. Like they targeted Chris Evans. So when he's been on the field, I, I guess there is a semblance of trust. And maybe I am not giving him as much credit. I'm just trying to I'm trying to read the tea leaves here as to why mm-hmm. he's not being involved. And it could just be for reasons that we don't know, or maybe he really just isn't that good. But you know he's made he's made some plays whenever he's been given the chance. Now most of that has been in the preseason, but at this point, when you do lack a semblance of explosion because one of your more explosive players is playing on a bad ankle,
1: it couldn't hurt. I mean, I'm gonna pin any comment that that says three key words. AC is right. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna pin that all all night long. Thank you again for another generous super chat, Mr. Whisper. But I. I, again, I'm sure that Mike Thomas is much more familiar with the route concepts and everything that that T. Higgins is asked to do on offense. And I'm not saying Chris Evans can step into T. Higgins' role and run the same routes and all that. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. But when you lose a very potent offensive weapon in Higgins due to injury, again, you gotta you gotta kind of make things happen. Mike Thomas occasionally has made. The, the occasional play over the past handful of years with the Bengals. I can remember him having a touchdown catch in, uh, I think it was 2020 against Cleveland and a big comeback in that one. And he's, you know, he stepped in admirably at times, but again, this is a guy that has been touted as a weapon and a guy that has versatility that is valued. And uh, I'm just, I'm just very surprised at it. And so the question is, you know, is, is he a fit for what they do? Uh, you know like you said you're just kind of reading the tea leaves and i don't know that we're going to be able to answer the, the the questions that we're asking about chris evans but i'm just at a loss as to why he's not getting at least more offensive snaps and even potentially john not even putting the ball in his hands even as a decoy that could be used in, in, in to some degree as well i'm just i'm just kind of lost about it
2: and i think it it doesn't help his case that in the times when P. Ryan has been used as a receiver, like in this past game, he had four catches, like an average depth of the target on his targets was negative 2.3. And he managed 48 yards after contact. Like P. Ryan has shown that when he's got the ball in his hands in space, like he's not the most elusive guy, but he can make, he can break off tackles, right? He can run through contact and he can get some extra added yards. And with Evans, it's more of, of the elusive type, right? It's making people miss and, in his running style in general, I feel like that has kind of turned coaches off a little bit because he's not always following his gaps. He's just trying to play hero ball as a running back. And maybe that leads to him being more of an out wide um, option in the, in the passing game. And I I, I think, I think you're right though. Like out of all their reserve options, he's definitely the most athletic. And I think that has value when you're trying to stretch a defense and, It's just a matter of if he's being asked to do a lot of those things in practice and maybe he's not.
1: Maybe he's not, but that is this week's state your case. We're talking Chris Evans, where art thou? And uh, maybe the Bengals will try and get him some snaps going forward. Maybe there's something going on that we don't know about. Uh, Either some injury, like you said, maybe some ineffectiveness shown in practice or not grasping some of the concepts they want him to run out there. But there's something puzzling going on there because that was a guy um, I think a lot of us were excited about in terms of his potential role this year. And just um, it has not been there. Like you said, what, five, five offensive snaps all year. Five um, or six. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Just, yeah. Should be, should be above that. You should be getting that per game is what I'm, is what I think yeah. in some degrees, but obviously situations will dictate that. Let's transition to the game ahead a lot of the Bengals with LSU ties go back to Louisiana. And the Cincinnati Bengals take on the New Orleans Saints. And they, we've, I'll, we'll start with this. We'll start with the, the injury report because Bengals may or may not be facing their old friend Andy Dalton for the third time in three years. We don't know yet. Jameis Winston did have a limited session at practice. Uh, T. Higgins, unfortunately, did not practice. So not looking good there. Again, maybe Chris Evans. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so here you go here. Let's pull this up. The Saints and Bengals injury report. By the way, look at how much more extensive the Saints is <laughs> than the Bengals. So that's, I guess that's pretty good news here you got. Uh, Leo Collins still got ahead of rest day here. But man, uh, you know, you got to wonder about that back situation. uh, Ankle injury for T. Higgins did not practice. Jonah, who apparently dislocated his knee against the Ravens. And then, of course, I think he had what an MCL sprain on top of that. Um, He's just had some bad injuries, man, uh, in his time. But uh, played through it against Baltimore. And you had Devin Ostiasi, who's. Had some form of an ankle issue ever since he joined the team. He went limited, as did Hurst with a groin and Pirine with an ab issue limited as well. So only a handful, half dozen Bengals players on the midweek injury report. The Saints like doubled or tripled them up here. I mean, this is unbelievable. Uh, but you have Michael Thomas and there are reports that he could come back as well. And then, of course, you had Jameis Winston, who has all kinds of issues, a back issue, an ankle issue. He went limited this week, so we're not quite sure exactly who we will see, but it could be Dalton. It could be Jameis. Uh, anything else to report on this as we continue to talk on this, John?
2: Did the Saints have a healthy receiver on the roster? Because I see four <laughs> who didn't practice.
1: Yeah, I think was it Olav had the concussion. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Thomas. But he I, reports are Michael Thomas may make a return this week. Landry didn't practice with the with the ankle, and then of course, um, yeah, uh, Deontay Hardy uh, had a had a foot issue as well. Didn't practice. So yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And then of course some other big names on there: Throck Morton. Ramzik, uh, Taysom Hill went limited. So, you know, a couple of different names on there.
2: Yeah, Taysom Hill's going to play. I don't think a lot of things can stop that guy. It's it's crazy. No. Like, even without Sean Payton, like, he's playing his best football. And it seemed like Sean Payton was his only believer in the universe. So, Taysom Hill, man. Still,
1: still doing it. Still, still doing, doing it. it. Yeah, Taysom Hill. So, uh, let's. Talk about the Bengals' defense in this one. Um, again, they're allowing 16.4 points a game so far right now. But, you know, it, it could be either the Saints potentially explode offensively with all of those weapons and depending on who plays quarterback, or it could be that it's more the same. What would you tend to believe as you look at the roster here for the Saints and what you've seen from them, a two and three team as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of the Saints. Like, I saw that uh, London game when I think that was uh, Dalton's first start, and he had a pretty traditional AD Dalton stat line of, like, 280 with a touchdown and a pick. And I think <laughs> he's played relatively well in the Saints scheme. Like, he's got good receivers. He's got still a good offensive line. He hasn't made a ton of, like, wow throws, but he hasn't necessarily been, like, a hindrance to their offense. I think he's got, like, a PFF grade of, of 80 or so. Hill is an interesting variable because you know he popped off last week. He had three touchdowns, albeit against one of the worst defenses in the league, in, in the Seattle Seahawks. He only rushed the ball nine times. He's carried the ball 21 times so far this year. I don't know if playing against a terrible Seahawks defense gives them more confidence to give him more touches, but Alvin Kamara is back as well, and I would imagine they wanted to feature him. But just in his four games this year, Taysom Hill's carried the ball four times, three times, five times, nine times. Now, he's averaged 10 yards of carry because he averaged 20 yards of carry in week one and 12 yards of carry in this past week. But it's not like he's consistently, you know, shredding defenses. He's, he's a variable for sure. And they use him in a myriad of ways. Um I guess he's a tight end in fantasy options, which pisses some people off, but yeah, like <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, when he's out on the field, you have to account for him. And I think you just have to make sure that he doesn't get to the outside because he is very fast. So I don't know, like it, we, we don't, I still don't know a ton about how they use him, to be honest with you, but I just know that when he's on the field, I'm sure the Bengals are going to be ready for him.
1: What do you think is a better matchup for the Bengals, Jameis or Andy Dalton, in terms of uh, who, who they would rather face? Because look, Jameis can wing it, but he turns the ball over. Uh, Dalton's 2 and 0 against him. I know he left the, the Bears game early last year, but I mean, technically, as a starter, he is 2 0 against the Bengals since leaving them. Um, a little bit more careful with the football is Dalton, yeah. but prone to the occasional mistake. I don't know.
2: That's, that's a, that is a good question. I feel like, unfortunately, with, with the Bengals' defense, they're not tremendously op- opportunistic in terms of their pass defense. Like They are one of the most aggressive defenses in trying to poke the ball out. Like You will see that five, ten times a game, always yeah. trying to punch the ball out, right? But in terms of like stepping into passing lanes and you know, taking advantage when the ball's in the air, that's not really what the Bengals defense has been known for. And I feel like with, with Winston, like in his three games, he has seven turnover worthy throws. Like that's always been Jameis Winston's MO. He can't necessarily sustain an offense. He lives off those explosive plays. So maybe he gives the Bengals defense more chances to make plays. And I mean, I mean, what am I saying? Von Bell's an interception machine right now. He's on pace for like 16 (laughs) interceptions or whatever. But aside from him, like it's not really what the Bengals defense has been known for. So, like, I'm almost inclined to believe that like Andy Dalton would give them a better chance. But on the other side, this is potentially Winston's first game back. He might not be 100% healthy, but he wants to reestablish himself as a starter. And he might start pressing. and might give the Bengals more chances. So I feel like it's more of a toss-up. And honestly, looking back at those injuries that they have at receivers, even if some of them do play, they might not be at 100%. Maybe they won't be able to generate a lot of separation. It could just be... You know, either quarterback, in my mind, would probably force balls into tight windows when they shouldn't.
1: Well, I mean, I yeah. And I think when you have Dalton's suiting up for any team three in the last three years, you would, you know, <laughs> he's got a little chip on his shoulder about playing his old team there. So I, I understand that interesting point you bring up about the Bengals defense, too. It's not there's not a lot of gamblers on the from on the corners or linebackers or, or safeties it's a lot of you know make the heady play make the smart play if the interception's there definitely go for it but um you know it's it's a lot of play sound technique play good football and get off the football field type of stuff it seems especially from the secondary there but secondary has played well von bell as you mentioned play has been playing very well and this not only is is a reunion for the LSU guys on this team. There are a lot of ex saints um, yeah. on this, on this team here, Hendrickson bell. I'm probably missing a couple others on off the top of my head here, but two of the biggies right there. And, you know, so there's, there's potentially a lot of emotion, a lot of different outside the lines elements, I guess, when you factor in the LSU connection, former saints playing on the Bengals, Andy Dalton, all of that, there's kind of a lot of extra, Outside the line storylines going on here,
2: I would imagine uh, if Mike Thomas does play Eli Apple, we'd we'll, we'll be craving. Yeah, that There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, Trey Hendrickson going up against um, Ryan Ramczyk's the right tackle. They drafted uh, Trevor Penning. I don't know if he's healthy or not. This is this is bad research by me. Who the, <laughs> who the heck is the Saints' left tackle here? Let's look it up real quick. Uh, it's James Hurst. Yeah, that's right. Former Ravens. So he's he's okay. But that that's that should be. In favor of the Bengals there so yeah I I think there's there's gonna be some emotions in this game I think in general like the Bengals don't want to fall to two and four either so I I look back at it was 2014 I I believe they were coming off of a terrible like one of the worst losses in franchise history Thursday night football against the Browns and they had like a extended break and then they went on like a three-game road trip First one was against the Saints, and I think that was the last time they played in the Superdome. You had Jermaine Gresham with that whole incident yeah. um, in, in the in the stands or whatnot. I don't know. I, I, I kind of see that game kind of like this one, where the Saints, I, I don't think that they're a bad team necessarily. We talked about them uh, leading up to the season. They're very talented, and I think that they would have been players in this division had they had some stability and consistency at quarterback. But I don't know. It, it just seems like this is an opportunity where – it doesn't really matter what the Saints are going to do. I think the Bengals are going to be really focused in on this one.
1: I think you're right, and I think you're starting to see the you know a little bit of the baby steps or building blocks or whatever you want to call it in terms of what they did with the run game last week, and and you know maybe altering the game plans here. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Who? What, what's the matchup? You're most? I've got two questions for you. What's the matchup? Personnel matchup? You're looking. To the most and do you think a bigger key for the Bengals to win this one is more continued solid defense and and you know uh doing kind of what they've done over the course of the first five games or is it going to take you know if it's one or the other right is if it's solid defense and continued blah from the offense or is it going to take that offensive explosion and maybe giving up more points than from the defense to get this one
2: I think the offense has to find ways to create explosive plays. And I think that's ultimately what we're gonna see for the first time this week. I think the Saints have a secondary filled with guys that like to take chances. I think Marshawn Lattimore has not played particularly well in these past couple of weeks. He was he didn't really play well against the the Vikings and Justin Jefferson. He wasn't really targeted that much against the Seahawks, but he should see a lot of Jamar Chase, who is also, you know, coming back to Louisiana for the first time in his career. Tyron Matthew is also a safety back there, and he's he's played well, but he also has been known to take chances and kind of overrun. Their other cornerback, um, Paulson Adebu, is one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL right now. And if T. <laughs> T. Higgins comes back, like that's a complete mismatch for them. I, I, I just see I see opportunities for the Bengals to at this point, like n- not necessarily force it, but I, I think there's gonna be some sense of like, hey, you know what? If we see the slightest chance of taking the top off the Saints defense. Sue, so I I do believe, will you know institute a lot of quarters coverage and cover two and whatnot. They'll keep their safeties back. I think that's what they'd like to do on defense. I think the Bengals would be more inclined to take shots at the very slight chance that they see it and not necessarily just go down to Mixon or Hurst or P Ryan in, in the check. Down. I think you'll see a little bit more aggression. I think there'll be some type of an emphasis between Burrow and Chase to try to get this thing right. And I think the Saints will are inclined to make one or two m- more mistakes than, they, than they're than they allowed to do so in this game?
1: I will be interested in seeing what happens uh, a, a bit in the trenches. You know, last week I said it was kind of Josh Tupo was a guy that I would be keeping an eye on. Um, Alex Kappa has a, has a 64 PFF score on... Mm-hmm. I, I, when I looked at Karis and Kappa, I kind of just... Assumed Karras maybe had a slightly higher score than uh, overall score than Kappa d- does, but Kat, it's actually the opposite. Karras is at 60, Kappa is at 64. So I'm interested to kind of see, especially now, if we're going to see more inside runs. Um, like you said, the gap scheme as opposed to the wide zone scheme, if they are going to start trending that way, I'm interested to see how the interior of the offensive line holds up. And if that's if last week was just kind of a, an outlier or if this is going to be a trend that they are going to be able to continue. And then, like you said, pop those explosive plays potentially there. And then, of course, if Higgins doesn't go, you got to look at, you know, is Mike Thomas going to be the guy that is going to be able to give you some plays here and there? Um, Are you going to mix in more Stanley Morgan on offense at times? You know, is that going to be a by committee type of thing? I don't know. Um, So those are those are some of the elements there. I do think, obviously, Higgins, if he does not play because he did not practice, on Wednesday that is not going to be good for the Bengals there, but all in all, you know, one being all of the injuries to the saints there. I mean, I'm sure a lot of those guys will play, but I mean, there is a lot of names on that injury report. Um, And so between that, between, I think some urgency with the Bengals and some of the foundation set last week with the run game and, and even in, the weeks prior against the Dolphins and the Jets, I think maybe they're going to start building some things, and then you've got a stretch of potentially winnable games here. And I think they know that they need to seize that. So I think it, I think riding the ship starts this week, and I do think the Bengals win probably by you know nine, eight, nine points, something to that effect. I'll say twenty-eight, twenty, something, uh, something like that.
2: Okay, that was that was pretty close to where where I was going with it. It does seem like. Well, it doesn't seem like it. it is true. Like when they win, like it's not not it's not convincing, but it doesn't come down to the wire like when they lose. Right. So I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think they build off the run game, the progress that they made there. Again, I'm, I want to give the Saints a lot of credit for their defensive talent. I just think there's going to be something that that kind of pushes them to, to go forward here. I think being back in the Superdome, Burrow kind of played it off as like no big deal. And I believe it for the most part. But I don't know. I, I'm going with the vibes here. I'm going with the vibes of him and Chase coming back here. I'm going with the vibes of Hendrickson and Apple. Uh, I'll be one guy is hated by the fan base. The other guy, is not, <laughs> but he, he wasn't offered or a competitive offer to come back. And I think there's, there's a chip on his shoulder as well. I'm going with the vibes here. I'm going 28, 17. win.
1: Okay. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, we're going to start closing up here before we do, we do, we're going to introduce something a little new. We're going to do a little trivia because uh my birthday a few weeks ago my wife found this trivia book uh Cincinnati Bengals trivia book it is by Ray Walker and I'm going to leave you first of all um what's really cool if you go to RayWalkerMedia.com, uh you can download for free a crazy sports stories book that he has written as well so free little fun read for that I have not read that one and I have not read this John but what I'm going to do, we're going to do two things. And we're going to let the, the live listeners queue in here. If they, whoever, first of all, I'm going to ask you a question from here. I'm going to yeah. let you pick a topic from like 12 chapters. And then you can pick. And then I'll, I'll try and pick one out of the blue there. We have not prepped this. John doesn't know anything about this. I've barely cracked open this book. So I don't really know the answers to them yet without potentially just knowing it off the top of my head. But for the live listeners... If you will ask one out there to you, first person who answers correctly, we've got a it's nothing big, but a little prize package, some Bengals swag for you that we can send out to you. We just need your address. If you are the first person to answer and answer it correctly, we'll do that. But we're going to let John go first here before we give it to the live listeners. And then, of course, the we'll drop the mic and get out of here. Chop. So you gotta well, if I answer it.
2: correctly, that is my mic
1: drop, by the way. Okay, alright. Yeah. Origin, origins and history, numbers game, calling the signals, between the tackles, catching the ball, trench warfare, no air zone, Super Bowl shuffle, shining the busts, draft day, let's make a deal, writing the book. Oh
2: my god, uh, no, no air zone I think was the thing, I'll go with that.
1: No air zone, that was chapter 7, so let's go to chapter 7. Um, give me a sec here. Nothing like dead air looking for quizzes here. Dead air zone. Yeah, here we go. Dead air zone. There you go. Um, Okay. Who is the last player to tie the Bengals record with three interceptions in a game? And it is multiple choice. Okay. A. Torrey James. B, Delph O'Neal, C, Jonathan Joseph, or D, Leon Hall? Again, who was the last player to tie the Bengals record with three interceptions in a game?
2: So obviously, Joseph and Hall played after um, O'Neal and Torrey. I don't believe Leon Hall ever had three interceptions in a game. I can be convinced that Joseph did it. I know for a fact that one of James or O'Neal did it. It might have been both, to be honest with you. So... I'm gonna go with Tory James.
1: You know that is a good, good guess, but it's not the right one. But it's not the right one, and you know what? The one that you are so certain. Are you serious? Did, yeah, Leon Hall is what it what? says here. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to consult this. This maybe we may have to uh, look up. Uh, yeah, we had Robert Hall say Leon Hall there. That was good. So yeah, it was Leon Hall answer that one okay so one more quiz and we've got some fun stuff for a listener one more quick quiz question whoever answers it right we'll get you we'll we'll get you some some fun stuff you got to give us your uh your address though you got to either dm us or hit us up on twitter or something like that and um we'll we'll do this let's see do we want to you can pick though john do you want a true false or do you want a uh a multiple choice for the for the listeners here uh, give him a true-false. Give him a true-false. True-false. Okay. Um, this one might be kind of easy. Mm. All right. Wow. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's do this one. Uh, Rudy Johnson never had a 200-yard rushing game for the Bengals. Listeners out there, true or false?
2: Do, 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 do. I just looked this up. December 21st, 2008, the Browns lost to the Bengals, 14-0. Leon Hall, three interceptions for 87 return yards and a touchdown. I don't remember that game.
0: I
1: don't remember happened. that one either. Yeah, it happened. There you go. Uh All right. It looks like, let's see, the answer Rudy Johnson never had a 200-yard rushing game for the Bengals. Um, it looks like Michaela is the first one I am seeing here yep. on our timeline with the right answer, false, and that is correct. False, uh, that he never had a 200-yard rushing wait, game for the
0: Bengals. Wait, wait.
2: Was it? Was it Danny did it? at nine nine thirty-four Eastern.
1: A little bit of up. Well I don't I think I think false was to the the uh other question there cuz I hadn't asked oh. at that point. I had already seen that false answer um, before I had asked the question there. So uh Dan, we love you, but um <laughs> I think I think Michaela had it had it first. Yeah, there you go. See? Look at this. We love the honest guy, Dan, the man. Thank you. Thank you. You know the question he
2: answered it. Man. I know. What I know.
1: So, Michaela, hit us up either via YouTube or something like that. We'll get you a little something, uh, send you out a little something fun for doing this. And hey, we'll make this a little staple either on this show and/or listener questions live. If you guys like it, um, we'll, we'll send you out something fun there. And uh, yeah, man, I I would have got that question that you that I gave you wrong as well, John. I I tried not to. I tried to have a poker face when I read the answer, and I was like, man, f is Leon Hall, I didn't. I, didn't
2: think so shame on me man leon hall is an amazing dude I, i'm sorry for doubting you And guys do not put your addresses on the internet man this is facebook who knows whether you can see this
1: <laughs> yeah should we should we delete that one uh i'll, I'll delete that dm Mark,
2: dm yeah. either me or anthony
1: your address michaela we'll, we'll send you the prize pack yeah please do please do um all right let's drop the mic and get out of here i i, I can't let you drop the mic on a on a wrong answer there john That's so what true. do you got for us
2: you know what I'll just make it a tribute to Leon Hall. Um, he was a member <laughs> at Kenwood Country Club and my cousin, uh, Jack, shout out Jack, was a caddy there. And he said like he was by far like the best and most enjoyable former or current athlete to caddy for. Like he was just a really ch- chill dude. He was an okay golfer, but I think that corroborates with a lot of what people say about Leon Hall, the person like just one of my favorite all time Bengals to, to have watched with, with my own eyes, just an amazing football player continues to be, underrated to this day, but, you know, a little anecdote about, you know, personal thing like Kenwood is not an easy course to play, but I think he did all right. And that's just like after, I think it was first Achilles injury, and he was playing golf. So really cool dude.
1: That, yeah, it's, he's known, you know, he was one of those highly productive guys and high, high character guys also. And, you know, John, um, I always thought it was very, very cool at the end of his career, how he transitioned from a boundary corner to an effective slot corner. Um, He ended up being a a really effective player there. Some people thought maybe he would even go one step further even later in his career and be a safety or something like that. Uh, I think towards the end of his career, he had an Achilles injury or something to that effect and still came, if I remember, came back and uh, was an effective player for the team. So good good warrior there. And I'm going to give a weird shout out um, to – I'm going to give a weird shout out to – rudy johnson Um, rudy johnson was uh, since he was the the other question there he was a guy that uh i just you know that he was one of those guys i know chad who we love was one of the guys that was really really responsible for the Bengals turnaround and yes carson palmer yes john kitna was as well and many others marvin lewis of course but rudy johnson quietly came in here and ended up being a really effective player wasn't wasn't fast by any means. He was powerful. He did um, definitely excel at breaking tackles, but he made the right reads behind that awesome offensive line that the Bengals had. I uh, I had a pup that I unfortunately do not have anymore that I named Rudy with the eye, and uh, you know after after Rudy Johnson because I had a soft spot for that for that running back there. So Rudy, and of course the chance of Rudy, Rudy. We all we all love those, and back in the day too. Weird thing, do you remember how he kind of got into the lineup and, and really started to assert himself in 03? Do you remember that that story, John?
2: Um, why, why, why don't you rehash it to me? It's, well, it's I think I
1: think the story, if I remember, since we're on this trivia deal, um, I think the story was Corey Dillon got in a car accident on the way to the stadium. It was against the Seattle Seahawks in 03. And so he was like delayed and or didn't you know was ended up being inactive in the game or something. And then of course Johnson comes in and starts making plays. And I think some of the fans started to, you know, sense a little disgruntled nature from from Dylan from years past and also maybe splitting a little more carries than he would have liked with Johnson at that point. And Johnson just kind of took the opportunity and literally ran with it. So if I remember if I remember correctly, it was like a weird car accident before the game or on the way to the stadium. By by Corey Dillon that started the Rudy Johnson train rolling. Man,
2: I, I never had a dog growing up. My the only dog that I had was or that I considered my own was my family friend's dog, and they got him in 2006, and they named him Rudy. Because really? Of, yeah. I think you've Rudy told Johnson. me that before. So I yeah. Yeah, think you've so, told so, me that so, before. Yeah. So, so like the dog, there was another dog in the in the house. His name is Boomer for obvious reasons. Yeah. And they named the and a little pup, Rudy, he lived for 16 Aww. years, I believe, or 15 years. He was an old dog at the mm-hmm. end of his life, but he was named after Rudy Johnson, who, what? yeah, again, like, I can't, I can't tell you athletically where Rudy Johnson was gifted like, but he consistently ran for, like, 13, 14 yards for, like, three seasons behind was- that great offensive line.
1: Yeah, there and there was this move he would do, man. It was the slowest spin move I had ever seen in my entire life. But for Sam, some reason, that slow ass spin move that he did always just like broke out of a tackle and it was it was like an effective little move. You know, he was just a, a thick guy and he held on to the ball and I don't know, it's just constantly positive yardage. So, you know, fun fun little part of of Bengals history there as well. And if only Rudy Johnson knew uh that uh hey we got a a membership there Michaela joining the membership we've added memberships by the way on our YouTube channel so take advantage of that thank you Michaela appreciate that and we'll get you some fun exclusive material there being a member so um let us know though Michaela as well how to how to get some stuff to you that's gonna do it for us fun trivia stuff at the end there John have a good uh, rest of your week we're trying to work out an interview with with former Saints wide receiver Terrence Copper, who is now part of the Believe Podcast Network. Um, looking like that's either going to be either Thursday or Friday, potentially for him working on finalizing that. Hopefully we can get that to you this week. Should be a fun um, peek over the fence there. Believe is always so kind to us with all their guests and whatnot. So we appreciate that. Thanks once again to Justin from Engraven Vids last week joining us. Go check out his channel. Anything else before we bounce on out of here, John? who day over who dad i guess let's do it let's go i can't top that one that's a good one take care everybody we will talk to you soon